go. Okay, welcome to the last podcast for the comparative for the Penelope Ad and Photograph 51. Um, in a student series, at least, there could be additional ones. Um, and we're going to talk about betrayal and regret today. And I have James and Leanne to discuss all things betrayal and regret. Welcome. Hello. Hello. All right, first off, what does betrayal and regret mean within these two texts? So let's start with a definition first. Yep, so uh, we were just discussing this. So we just started off surface level first. So we just said betrayal just seems more like a deliberate choice to cause or harm or like violate someone, but there needs to be like trust um, in order for, I guess, betrayal to occur. You can't really betray someone if you don't really have that trust. And with regret, there's more of like, I guess, a practical sense towards it, more of like, if given the opportunity, you would go back and change your actions. And I guess there's some degree of like guilt towards that as well. Uh, but if we wanted to like, I guess, distinguish regret from remorse, it's like, they're not exactly like you, it's possible to feel regret without feeling remorse. And there's the idea that like, regret being more practical, remorse is more like emotional. And you don't necessarily have to feel regretful in order to feel remorseful, if that makes sense. Yep. So what does this look like then now in the two texts? Um, well, if you go straight into Penelope ad, um, the very obvious one is that Penelope betrays the maids. Uh, there's this bit where she says we were almost like sisters and that establishes the grounds for a familial relationship that is built on trust. And I think that plays into how we define betrayal because she does actively go against and shatter that trust that the maids have placed in her. Um, but in terms of regret, does she actually regret killing the maids? We couldn't quite agree on this point. Um, I think that no, there is a um, she doesn't have motivation to rectify the damage that she's done um, and, she def and she doesn't make any attempt to acknowledge her part in the matter because she does blame the maids. As she says, it's the maids, they cause him pain. Um, James, yeah, I just thought, I guess, in a sense, uh, yeah, she tries to make it seem like um, she feels sorry for uh, her husband Odysseus and the way that they treat him. And I guess to me, it just sort of read like, it just maybe just a tiny bit of her or a part of her just felt regretful for the outcome that was produced, even though it wasn't necessarily the most uh, ideal situation when you have like Iliad's, um, Iliad's uh, Odyssey, where she's not really portrayed in the same, uh, or in the same way that she would have wanted to portray herself. So I guess in a way she kind of maybe subtly regrets um, some of her actions and what she would have done better in order to create that ideal situation. But yeah, that's mm. just five. I think, I think it's really interesting there about whether does Penelope regret, and I think the answer to that is, I'm gonna say she feels emotionally remorseful, but I don't think she feels regret because she knows the maids had to die for her to survive. That's one of the things I think about the text. You know, she, she uses them to sort of gain information and survive. And then I think while she is locked in her room and Odysseus um, executes them, that denial of responsibility, she doesn't feel like she's part of their, 
deaths in that way. But I think there's an element of remorse there about how it sort of panned out for them. And I don't think she'll change things because I think it, because I think if he's going to do that to them and if he found out of what really happened while he was away, she could have had that same fate. So I think in her mind that, and even in the underworld, that there's a necessity to their death for her to survive longer in Ithaca. Um, but I think there's a sense of remorse there because, you know, she does, she's, she responds to them quite emotionally to leave him alone. Um, and I think that response there to me indicates a bit of a heavy burden, but that's just my point of view. And I will tell the students out there right now, this is, this is a contested point out in the English domain about um, the way she sort of reacts and feels um, in terms of regret and remorse. So the, the, the things that we're saying now in terms of um, at that moment um, are all valid sort of points as long as we can find the evidence within the text. So what about photograph 51? Where do we see betrayal and regret at the beginning? Like where's the most noticeable part in photograph 51 do we think? I, I think the one, I guess the one scene that really came out to mind was Gosling's betrayal of Franklin, where um, if you look at on page 49, where she says, uh, that night I slipped Wilkins the photograph. I didn't, I did think it was his right to see it. I knew it was the best photograph we had. And I guess there's the idea that like, if uh, in my head, I just feel as though like, if the roles were reversed and it was Wilkins who originally found the photograph, I just, I don't feel as though he would have given that photograph to Rosalind in the same manner that he does here. So I just feel like there's, I guess the subtle double standard and yeah. Rianne, what do you think? Um, I think for me, the most obvious one is uh, the comparison between Watson and Odysseus where Watson blatantly betrays Franklin to be the name in a pub quiz um, and to have his name on the Nobel Prize. And I think that his betrayal is purely for his own personal gain and there is no shred of regret. Um, whereas like Wilkins and Odysseus, they're constantly trying to do it again. And even though Odysseus may not be feeling regretful towards his betrayal of Penelope, there's still some kind of regret for something there. Mm, mm, I think that's really interesting. Um, in terms of the photograph and also the idea of Watson not having any sort of regret, remorse in terms of doing what he did um, because that the, the motivation for fame um, sort of, and we talked about that in the last podcast um, with um, Hero and Amandi, that pursuit of fame sort of leads him to betray that motivation. And I think that's something that both of you have touched upon is the underpinning our motivations for betrayal. So where do we see sort of more of that motivation within the Penelope ad or Photograph 51 as to why they need to betray? I think, um, in, especially in Photograph 51, uh, and I guess at times with Penelope, uh, that idea of um, a materialistic pursuit and something that's more tangible and in, within this reality and within this real like realm, something that you can um, feel as though you're like recognized for, right? Um, I guess with Penelope, there's the idea of the economical value of Ithaca. And I guess in Photograph 51, like as Rianne said, the idea of your name in a pub quiz, like that legacy. And um, there's also the like, 
I guess the fame and the glory and like that connection with wanting to, I guess, almost live on through that recognition. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, don't you? Brienne? Um, I think, especially in Penelope, the betrayal stems for a, like the need to live, like it's a life or death situation, especially for Penelope. But there is a quote where um, Penelope says that the maids have betrayed her. And I think it raises an interesting point that the maids have betrayed her in a sense as they've wanted to pursue a sort of closer relationship with the suitors. Whereas um, if they didn't, if they hadn't released any of that kind of information, they wouldn't be able to gain some kind of closer relationship. I think, I think, um, yes, sorry. I think one of the things I um, found interesting is that the stakes of betrayal, I think, Rianne, you just kind of highlighted to me about, you know, life and death is kind of a really high stake, whereas the name in a pub quiz actually sort of is a really, the, if the legacy that comes with being um, an answer, you know, we, I think we as students and um, as readers of this have to think about, does the betrayal justify the means? And in terms of that, like, you know, we can see why you might want to betray someone to survive, but perhaps we're not as sympathetic seeing betrayal happen when it's just sort of for fleeting fame or to be an answer in a pub quiz. That's just a kind of observation I've had um, in, that, in, the, in, your convers- in the conversation we're having at the moment. Um, I think it's, like, interesting because to me these, like, stories or like yeah these stories just sort of read as what happens or a commentary on like how far someone is willing to go to I guess um achieve something as almost like ephemeral I guess um as fame and glory and the extent to which they're going and they're willing to I guess uh and it manifests I guess through betrayal uh, it manifests as betrayal and um and the consequences to that might be regret I think both stories sort of, sort of showcase that like commentary on um, the human response. And, yeah, yeah. I, I just found that interesting. So, who has regret in these two texts? Do we think? Um, I think it is. You could. I think you could argue um, regret or remorse for almost every character. But um, we've touched on before that, like Penelope is hard to tell. I think Odysseus has regret, but it isn't related to his betrayal. I think his regret stems from his incomplete quest to fame, how in the afterward he is constantly trying to do it again and do it again, um, and is trying to be someone. And um, Atwood lists a whole bunch of things that he's done to try and achieve that kind of fame. And I think through that, you see the restlessness that regret kind of yeah. places him in. Um, I think I think we talked about this before, but also I think something that really struck out was in the Penelope ad, like in reference to how in the same way that Watson just performs this cyclical act of just wanting to, I guess, resuscitate Franklin, uh, like almost in the same way, the cyclical act almost seems um, to be like mirrored in uh, the way that Odysseus just keeps coming back to the Asphodel Meadows and keeps coming back to um, Penelope and he keeps saying how oh I um was the end of the novella he says oh um I you know I love you and 
and then um she says just as i'm on like the cusp of forgiveness like he just makes a beeline for um the river of forgetfulness and he just leaves and i think and i think we were talking about this and we said in a way he almost feels remorseful but he doesn't feel i guess remorseful enough to uh, manifest that into regret and he because he doesn't necessarily uh, he doesn't change the way that he um treats or change the way that he stays with penelope he doesn't choose to stay with her and he just continues to leave her and yeah. i just found that really like tragic and i think the distinction between remorse and regret just really seemed like epitomized in that moment yeah, I find, that, I find that kind of interesting there um, with Wilkins, you know, and that idea that the regret is actually happening to us on stage repeatedly um, because, you know, we've got that very opening line, oh, not this again, Wilkins. Um, and I think that um, reclaiming of story or trying to reclaim some sort of, um, I guess, a retelling is kind of futile in that sense. And I think it's almost the same as Penelope trying to expect something different from Odysseus um, in the afterworld um, to when he was living on the surface. Um, I find that kind of interesting. Um, so what else do we have to say about betrayal and regret? Are there some things that you have written down? Um, there was one idea we touched on that Dr. Shaw actually brought up to us. It was a comparison between Helen and Penelope and the cost of betrayal, how Helen has, you know, betrayed her husband and all these men have lost their lives because of her. But she has absolutely no remorse and no regret. And when she's with Penelope in the underworld, she says, you are the same as me. And I think it's kind of, it kind of highlights Penelope's own uh, lack of regret. I think Penelope has remorse, but not necessarily regret. But it also kind of justifies her um, her actions because we see Helen, who is beautiful and successful, and she has gone down in history for what she has done and what she's caused. Um, yeah, it's just an idea of throwing out there. Hmm. James. Yeah, um, sorry, I wasn't really, like, I do think it's really interesting in the way that Penelope and Helen in some ways are basically just uh, the same person, the same person just in different um, situations, I guess, and I think... There's two sides of the same coin, if you yeah. say. Yeah. Um, I think in terms of, I guess, regret, I think the difference between, I guess, sorry, it's hard to articulate, but I think. That's all right. Yeah. I can move on to something else. What about, now we talked about this in class, James, and I also talked about it with Mr. Marlingham and Dr. Shaw. Um, what about the betrayal and betrayal of the readers' expectations of what they're about to see? Oh, we're going to talk about this. <laughs> what do we think? What do we think, Rianne and James? Because I think it's actually, it's quite an interesting concept here. And I bring it up because it, it ties into the genre of these two texts um, beyond their forms of sort yeah. of the revisionist texts, revisionist feminist texts. Um, and I know we talked about a bit in our class about whether we can, that can actually happen. 
whether yeah. they are betraying us. What do we think? Are the authors themselves betraying us, the readers, or are they betraying sort of the legacy of the, these two women that they've left in mythology and history? I think, um, I think if you look at like academic papers and you look at um, some dissertations like that, they sort of, uh, I guess, describe how, um, and they include like Atwood's work of the Penelope Ed as something that um, is still considered a feminist revisionist text because it provides a vo- voice and it, vo- and it amplifies, I guess, the voice of marginalized characters within uh, the canonical literature. But I think to me, like, it just seems as though it's, it's conflicting because um, I don't think you can say like uh, Atwood being a feminist, uh, you can expect her to reproduce or like produce something that is a purely feminist, uh, you know, uh, uh, manifestation. But I think I, I like we. You can't say we feel betrayed by Atwood, even though we do. But I feel it's interesting that just the vocalization alone and providing just and creating a space whether or not describing it as liminal or open is in of itself feminist, I think. Mm. Rianne, what do you think? Um, Yeah, I agree. Like, if you're creating a space for a voice to be told, then you are, you're not betraying them, rather you're doing the opposite, you're helping them. But I think something that I would does touch upon is that how if one story is told, then another part of the story is silenced. And I think in that regard, how she's chosen to write about Penelope, in a way, I guess she has betray- not betrayed the maids at the end, but we, we, the audience, do kind of form an emotional attachment to them. And to see them just stuck there in the um, underworld at the end, it is quite tragic. Mm, mm, mm. Think, yeah, and I think these stories um, holistically sort of showcase how in order to, I guess, progress as a society. um, And it relates back to the idea that like even the maids and Franklin, even in a contemporary society, cannot like achieve just any, almost like a sliver of um, justice. And I think by showing um, moments in which people just are betrayed and are in, uh, are like suspended in a moment of pure injustice, I feel as, by exemplifying something like that, we can work towards turning the liminal into, I guess, something that's more open. Mm. And I think, yeah, I feel as though that's just what it's trying to say. And in order to create change, we need to first at least acknowledge that there is a voice that can talk, that has been silenced, that has been marginalized, mm. if that makes sense. All right. Well, we're getting towards the end of the podcast. Is there... Are there any points that you are dying to get out? Because I know you have an um, a extensive Google Doc. Um, James? Um, I think... Uh, sorry. You're right. Uh, so, yeah, I think the idea that... Yeah, we were talking about this before, but uh, I'll just bring up the, judi- the judicial point where... I guess, um, in a way, uh, something that struck out in the Penelope ad was the idea that perhaps the societal construct is the one that betrays the um, female voice in which, and relating back to the idea of like that liminal space where um, this is a story about um, something that's happening like 2000 years ago, 
but also that's happening like two minutes ago. And the idea that um, it almost feels like it, it almost feels as though it doesn't matter what time period it is, that the societal construct betrays um, your side of the story or your um, your grasp at some moment of justice. Mm. And I guess especially in the court scene where we see the judge clearly like um, has a bias towards um, Odysseus's uh, defense. And we, yeah, I just found that interesting that perhaps something abstract can still in turn, something abstract like a law system, something that you're supposed to put your trust into and believe that it has your back in moments of, I guess, indignancy, that mm. it still fails and still, um, it still exists as fragile and, I guess, prone to failure. Yeah, I think, I think it's really interesting about the journey of the maids and the courtroom scene um, and sort of that I'd highlighting that these girls are, are being betrayed by, um, I guess, our social silence or social expectations that because they are of that lower rung um, in, a, in social standing that we're, we're at least we're, they're not likely to get justice. Um, and you're kind of right that we, it doesn't really matter if it was 10,000 years ago or now. The idea is that it's still sort of happening. It kind of highlights. I think I was really... Um, intelligent that way, the way she sort of highlights that sort of inequity and leaves us with that sort of bigger, wide sort of betrayal against women in that way. And I think Ziegler does almost the same way for um, Franklin, um, that we don't, that her, the lack of acknowledgement of her contribution somehow um, is detrimental to sort of um, the pursuit of science by females in general. Um, I think that's kind of an interesting sort of um, observation there. Um, all right, any last words, Rianne? Um, I don't know, you pretty said, pretty much said it all. Yeah, I think, I think, yeah, I think you've highlighted some interesting things about betrayal and regret. I think betrayal and regret links to a little bit of survival, um, fame and glory, um, what is expected of them. And I think, I think we sort of also started touching on the bigger societal impacts um, that betrayal and regret sort of has. And the layers of who gets betrayed and who has regret and remorse is kind of interesting. So I think students out there um, listening to this um, should definitely, again, listen back. You should listen to the podcast together, like if you have a chunk of time, because um, as a person being the host of it, um, there are definitely many links that get drawn between um, all the podcasts so far. Um, and you can start seeing some complicated arguments and sub-arguments for your essays. Um, and where, you know, there's still plenty of time before the SAC and obviously um, the trial exam and the exam for you to sort of tease that out as well. Um, but thank you, James Rianne, for your wonderful insight today on Betray and Regret. I think there's lots of food for thought there. Um, and yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.